Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Calling All Communicators, a podcast where industry professionals and academics discuss all things communication. I'm Zach. And I'm Cindy. And today we're bringing on an industry professional, Lene Carmichael, who works in Femtech. Yeah, which I had never heard of until today. <laughs> um, so we learned Femtech is basically businesses that are all about improving women's health in general, right? Exactly, exactly. And we're going to talk to her about the improvements in you know, the medical space for women and just brands who are um, on a better serving women in this area because for mm -hmm. so long it was just kind of a hush hush kind of thing like 50 percent of the population didn't have these reproductive organs you know nobody was talking about them but now mm -hmm. thankfully they are and um Linnea has made the um a career out of it now which is pretty cool yeah yeah so she was kind of telling us a little bit about uh what she does which is kind of you know like that content writing and strategy for uh, for a lot of these brands, right? So it's trying to figure out what is their identity and how does that relate to women's health? And exactly. yeah, and I, I just thought this discussion was really interesting because I learned a lot of things I didn't previously know. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, being a dumb man, I don't know many things about women's <laughs> health. Um, but the even even the but the craziest part, as she kind of talked about, right, is that women also don't know a lot about their own health, right? Because there just isn't a lot of research done on it. So no, no. And we weren't necessarily taught. You kind of learned it as you went. Um, and we also talk a bit about the need for brands and anybody who's communicating in a technical way to back down off that jargon and to actually communicate to somebody where they're at, where their knowledge is and build up rather than kind of like being high above them with your language and your, um, and your technical uh, communication. Uh, yeah. And with sexual health, it'd probably be very easy to be a little bit too um, specific, I guess, you know, with your terminology, because people just don't know that much about it, right? So it would probably be pretty easy to go over their heads. So probably in this space more than others, it's probably a little bit more difficult to try to figure out well, where exactly do I start, you know, with explaining things. Right. And as we talk about in the podcast, it can be difficult because in the forums, a lot of people communicate on these days, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, what mm -hmm. have you have their own rules about what you can say and what you can't say. Yeah. Um, so that can be very, very much a challenge. And there's a yeah. double standard there too, between men and women. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's, so yeah, we had a little bit of a discussion about censorship and that kind of thing, not too much, um, but it's just a really interesting topic, right? Because it's something that needs to be talked about. And yet on the other hand, you know, you want people to still be appropriate and still have, mm -hmm. you know, like the spaces be age appropriate and those kind of things, right? So it's a very difficult balancing act that we have not yet. And when I say we, it's a royal we, we have not really figured out how to fix that yet or what Absolutely. exactly the right balance is. Right. I think we're getting there, but it's a slow process. Slowly but surely we're getting there. All right. Well, let's go on to the episode. All right. Please enjoy our conversation with Lene Carmichael. 
All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Lene. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, just so that everybody knows who you are, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you. Lene Carmichael is a marketing professional who spent the last nine years leading brands and email campaigns, content marketing plans, and foundational brand strategy. She started out on small marketing team at Microsoft and has since helped brands from big tech to emerging startups in femtech, which is women's wealth, wellness, and sexual health brands, helped them stand out from the competition and drive profitable growth through strategic marketing. Lene is an Arizona native, a mom of three, who loves making superfood smoothies and planning her family's next adventure. So welcome. Thank you. Yes, I could talk about smoothies almost as much as I could talk about marketing and copywriting. So. What's your favorite? Um, I have a raspberry peach smoothie that I really love with like hemp and chia and I put spirulina powder and almost everything. It's like a little algae powder. Um, there's just all sorts of health benefits that you can get from these superfoods. So I've kind of dove into that and yeah, it's become a big part of our family diet now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not going to lie the smoothies with like all the, um, uh, with like all the superfood additives that like, I've never heard of them. They scare me because I'm like, I don't know what all these, all these vegetables are and all these yes. things that they're in the smoothie. There's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I bought a cookbook like a long time ago that kind of described all the superfoods and their health benefits and the amount that you should, you know, consider putting in per serving and things like that. But it also had recipes that helped me figure out, uh, the balance of flavor with the nutritional mm. benefits. So for the most part, they taste pretty good. So our kids are getting all sorts of sneaky nutrients. But That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, not to not to take a big tangent at the beginning, but there you go. We take tangents all over the place. Yep, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question we always ask all of our guests, Lene, is how did you get your communication calling? Why are you in this field? Yeah, I mean... That's a great question. I think so many people that end up working in marketing or communications kind of fall into it. I don't know that it's something that a little child would ever say, like, I want to be a marketing communications professional. <laughs> um, however, the long string of communication does reach far back into my childhood. I've always been very verbal. I was known as being overly chatty, super talkative. Um and very social. I've loved hearing people's stories and trying to listen and then make helpful connections with ideas that I've been exposed to. Um, I remember even as like a seven-year-old sitting and chatting with my older siblings' friends who were a good, you know, five to seven years older and trying to give them advice on their like high school relationships. Uh -huh. I was in no place to do it, but people have always like talked to me or opened up to me about it. And I've always been like happy to do what I can to chat with them about what's going on in their lives. Um, and then as I got older, I was frequently lost with my nose in a book. Uh, I spent all of my school summers reading as much as I could. And I recently was given three boxes from my parents' house of all my childhood journals. So I was a voracious journaler, constantly um, writing down my thoughts, my opinions, what I ate for dinner that night, <laughs> all sorts of details. So communicating is like very much in my bones. And um, I got a degree in English when I went to college. And then I thought I would end up in publishing. So I actually did a post-grad program in children's publishing and wanted to move to New York and work 
at a publishing house, but life kind of took a different turn. And I ended up in the Silicon Valley working at Microsoft on a small tech marketing team. And so that was kind of my introduction into the world of marketing. And, you know, I had never really imagined my English degree being used in that capacity, but I loved it. And it felt so much more um, profitable to be able to <laughs> apply my skills in that area. And it just opened my eyes to how much communication is essential for a business's success. And some of those soft skills that you learn or, um, you know, that you major in in college can actually be so useful if you figure out the right way to position it to an employer. And um, anyway, so that kind of got me started on the trajectory of marketing, which I had actively avoided in college. Um, there was a advertising major, which would have given me a great start into marketing and copywriting, but I actively avoided it because I was so nervous about the idea of sales. I remember it feeling really spammy to me. Um, and so I wanted to avoid it at all costs. But when I ended up on this marketing team, I loved the work that I was doing. I got so involved in branding and the idea of brand identity and tone of voice and, you know, creating a storytelling based campaign. And I really shifted the way I thought about an approach to sales and marketing and seeing it as a real service to connect. It is, it's connecting, it's connecting yeah. your brand with the people who need it. And so that value shift, um, really helped me dive in full force and get really passionate about this. And so that was kind of my start. I worked there for four years and then started taking on my own client work and being there in the Silicon Valley was great because there were tons of, you know, startups that needed help. And so I would take on short-term contracts in email marketing, brand strategy projects, creating brand messaging, tone of voice guides, looking over pitch decks, all sorts of work that got me into that space. And now here we are in 2023 and I primarily work with femtech and sex tech brands. So um, both consultants, service providers and bigger brands who are working to better the reproductive health of women. And it's been amazing. I've been exposed to so many awesome women and founders and people that are just really uh, mission driven in this space. So I've really loved it. There was a, a long-winded answer <laughs> that gave you some helpful information. Well, I don't think any of us really come to this with a real straight line. So it's good to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's all always a windy path. Yeah. So how did you, so you got your degree in English and then you ended up working for Microsoft. So I'm kind of curious, how did, how did you go from wanting to be a publisher, like you said, when you graduated to... Um, and I know you touched on this a little bit, but I'm, I guess I'm just wondering a little bit more like uh, logistically, how did you go from wanting to be a publisher to, you know, getting this job at Microsoft? So I got engaged <laughs> and <laughs> okay. my uh. husband did grad school at Stanford. And so we moved out to California and go, you know, it was the tech capital. So there wasn't a lot of publishing opportunities there. Now up in San Francisco, there are some big children's <clears throat> publishing. You have Chronicle Book and Red Tricycle and, you know, there's others that are up there. Um, but as I was job searching and needing to make, you know, more money than <laughs> possibly an editing intern with yeah. me, um, I, yeah, I landed myself. I was initially an executive assistant at um, Microsoft. It, so it's kind of a weird situation. We were housed at Microsoft and it was a 
a TV tech company called Media Room that was then sold off shortly after I got hired, sold off to a company called Ericsson. And so I was involved in that whole like merger acquisition thing on the admin side. And then after three months, um, I chatted with my manager and told him like, hey, I, I'd been editing some of the internal newsletters and communications, and I really loved that. And he saw a need there. And so he moved me onto the marketing team pretty quickly. And that was really awesome. I was nice. grateful that, you know, someone took a chance on me and that I was able to um, quickly improve my skill set in that area. Wonderful that you were working for a company that recognized the need because so many yeah. don't. You know, he was a really, I've had multiple, you know, bosses and managers and um, yeah, I really admired his ability to see potential in people and give mm -hmm. them opportunities. That's a very yeah, valuable skill. Yeah, I'd say that's probably just about one, one of the most important skills out of a manager other than, you know, just like, you know, being responsible and, and stuff like that. But yeah, just being able to actually motivate and, you know, believe in people and having the people kind of believe you, you know, that's mm -hmm. going to be an important part. So yeah, agreed. Yeah. So how did you decide to move into Femtech and tell us more about that? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I have struggled with my own like menstrual health mm -hmm. ever since having my second child. So I have three kids. Um, I have my youngest is two. So I've recently been, you know, been pregnant and through postpartum and all of that um, again, more recently. Um, but it did totally change my own body and my menstrual cycles. And so I've been seeking you know, answers and solutions and trying to understand my hormone fluctuations and heavy bleeding and things that have gone on in that world. And as I was doing research for my own health, I kind of fell into learning about the advances that were being made by these entrepreneurs and the innovation behind their brands and what they were trying to accomplish. And at the time I had been working for ed tech startups. So I was already familiar with like the VC backed startup world from a professional standpoint. And so when I realized that there was an opportunity to kind of merge what I had been passionately researching for my own well-being, um, I got really excited. I also, you know, I was in a the last three or four years, a lot of my reading has been about childcare crisis in America, um, you know, invisible work, unpaid work of women. There's just been this whole like string of I don't know if you would call it like another feminist awakening or an awareness of the economics behind what I view as the suppression of women through a patriarchal capitalistic society. And so I'd been passionate about that and talking about that for a long time, consuming podcasts about it, understanding. I read Invisible Women, which is a book I highly recommend, and it talks about the health gap. Um, for women, whenever there are big advances made in the medical field, it's predominantly with men um, that have been involved in the research. And White so there's a long, a long, a long history of reasons um, that kind of can explain why that is. But anyway, yeah, women have been left out of clinical trials and there's just not enough information and symptoms of many things, heart disease, cancers, they present differently in women. And so women are often diagnosed five to eight years later, um, which means that they're in a more severe state when they get their diagnosis. And so there's so much need for innovation and science and research and especially funding money. I mean, we need so much money in this area. And, um, 
the women and I mean, men too, the people that I've met that are working to advance this and to kind of bridge that gender health gap are so mission driven. I mean, they're very intelligent. They've had long, successful careers. They could be making money somewhere else and they're putting that all on hold to to drive this forward. And so I've just been really grateful. My values have been really aligned with the people in this space and I just believe in what they're trying to do. So yeah, it's kind of, again, a long answer, but it's kind of how I fell into it. And I've, I really loved it. And I still work with, you know, creative business owners, service providers in other spaces, but um, I have noticed that even then they're like lactation consultants or sex therapists. Like there still seems to be some crossover. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So one thing I'm curious about then um, is when you say femtech, like what exactly are those businesses doing? Because like, I'm having a hard time picturing just from the name, like what exactly those businesses like are? Yes, that's such a great question. So femtech is a large umbrella term that speaks to, I, I say it's uh, medicine for more than males. That's kind of the line that I've used. It's healthcare for more than males. And so that's inclusive of, you know, women's wellness, but also LGBTQ care and um, any, and sometimes even uh, men, like there's male birth control companies now that would still follow under the same umbrella because reproductive health has been primarily the burden of women. And so, you know, yeah. uh, male birth control kind of fits there, but it is um, menstrual health, sexual health, reproductive health. So you have um, pregnancy, fertility, uh, postpartum, menopause, menstruation, um, but then, like I said, it extends into uh, health conditions that predominantly affect women. So migraines, for example, women are twice mm -hmm. twice as likely to suffer from migraines. Heart disease and cardiovascular issues are one of the main killers of women, and there's not enough research there. And then so many different kinds of cancers that present differently in women. So it it starts kind of with reproductive health, but it extends far beyond. You know, I one thing I wanted to talk about was that with what you do, there are awful lot of big terms that a lot normal people don't know. So the question is, how do you and your work go about communicating these medical things that, you know, Joe Blow on the street doesn't understand, or maybe Joe Blow, um, getting it down to the normal person's level and not use that um, medical jargon or, uh, you know, business jargon that the normal person doesn't understand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, on my website, I have this idea of taking you from clinical to connective mm -hmm. because the clinical terminology is essential for your consumers who are going to care, and as they should, care a lot about evidence-based uh, products and research. And so I think that that needs a place to live on your website um, to give you credibility and to be transparent and make sure people have access to see the science behind your product. However, I think I, I use a lot of what I call voice of customer research to 
make sure that we're using language and communicating in a way that your audience will really understand and resonate with. Um, you're wanting to reach them where they're at. And so if you're talking to women who suffer from a specific problem, there's going to be their own consumer language, I would say, around how they talk about that that might be different from more clinical or scientific um, information or jargon. And so I just, I spend a lot of time in Facebook groups and Reddit forums and Quora threads, and then conducting my own user interviews for all the work I do. Um, I try to take a strategy-based approach for any communicating pro communication projects I take on. And so, um, yeah, I try to actually run focus groups or get in with your audience, survey them, talk to them, get them on the phone and really understand how they are talking about their problem, their solution, what they've heard from their doctors, and then use that very language in the brand communication mm -hmm. as much as we can. Yep. Smart move. You know, I have similar sort of thing where I deal, deal with a lot of my clients are in the financial sector and, you know, they want to be up here with their language, uh -huh. but you need to be down here. Cause I always tell them, look, if you're trying to communicate with somebody who needs your services, you, they don't know all the ins and outs because yes. if they did, they wouldn't be coming to you. And it can alienate them because no one yes. wants to land on a website and feel stupid. You know, yes. that you want, you want to engage their curiosity and build upon their learning. I mean, education is so big in this space. Brands that are creating community and education, right. educating their consumers are going to do better with their sales, but yeah, you've got to meet them where they're at first and slowly introduce these other concepts. Um, yeah, absolutely. So one thing I'm kind of thinking about, I guess, is what can, what can brands that aren't necessarily just specific to femtech, right? Like maybe that isn't like their initial goal is like a feminine hygiene and that kind of thing. But what can brands that aren't related to do that, what can they do to kind of, I don't know, help the culture around, you know, feminine hygiene and, and the, um, I guess the communication culture around that, you know, is there anything that bigger brands or, or like different brands outside of the sector can do? So you're saying brands that focus primarily in other industries, what can they do to be more inclusive of this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or like if, if yeah, mean, or like brands brands maybe that are more focused on like men's health instead of instead of women's health, right? Like what I guess I'm I'm trying to ask like could they be incentivized or do you think that they could talk about this more in the future? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think um you know, money is the biggest thing that's needed. Yeah. So anyone that's in the health space or dealing with health, raising awareness about the need to bridge this gap and make research for women's health uh, more possible, I think that would be huge. Donating and showing support uh, with a brand's dollars would be huge. Inclusive language mm -hmm. is really big. Even though the brands I work for, like even there's, there's many brands that are dealing with fertility and it would be, or, um, you know, breastfeeding, things like that. Things that you would think you would absolutely use terms like women, she, her. Um, and yet they're embracing inclusive language because it is so essential that people that don't fall under those binary labels still feel welcomed and have access to good health care. And so I think inclusive language can go a long ways for any brand. And that doesn't mean that you're going to like muck up your clarity by just using generic terms all around. You can still speak to your specific audience, but read through it with a lens of inclusivity and see 
how you might be able to make small changes that are a little bit more equal. Um, people who menstruate rather than women, you know, there's all sorts of things that you could do. A lot of times people writing for men's health could acknowledge the impact on a partner or someone else mm -hmm. that might be in their life that is, is female. Um, I say that when women get better, the world gets better because everyone has a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, an aunt, that their health will be impacted by the space. And in turn, that impacts the people around them. Um, you know, death and healthcare problems cause stress on the entire family. And so it's really essential. And then not to mention, like, uh, if you want to look at the big picture, like everyone has a mother and the mother's health is essential to what comes with the children. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it does absolutely affect everyone. And just reading it with a lens of that, like any, anytime you're talking about healthcare, it's going to affect all humans. Right. Well. Yeah. You know, um, you're talking about just talking about it is things have changed a lot since I was a kid. Um, you know, people just didn't really outwardly recognize the fact that women have a lot of different health concerns from men. It was kind of hidden and shameful mm -hmm. and things are changing, um, have changed quite a bit, but we still have a ways to go. What, what do you think as communicators that we could do to help move this along? Yes. Okay. So as you're talking, it's reminding me there is a huge censorship issue in this space. Mm -hmm. For example, on Facebook, you can advertise for erectile dysfunction. You cannot use word. You still can't use words like vagina in a Facebook ad. And so talking about vaginal health, your ad gets blocked. So if you're wow. a company trying to support vaginal health, um, it's considered explicit. Whereas you can talk about penises all day long on Facebook, sometimes even in a sexual nature, and it's allowed, but uh, female sex is still very stigmatized. Um, and a lot of these brands, I mean, I work in the sex tech industry, so female sexual pleasure, female orgasm is a huge, you know, focus, but also that leads into like pelvic pain and, you know, real like chronic health issues mm -hmm. that can be related there. And there's so much that goes on with vaginal health that is not sexual. There's just, there's a whole realm of problems around censoring these companies, which makes marketing feel impossible if they can't yeah. advertise and they have to have these workarounds where they're not using correct terminology, but all that does is entrench the taboo. There are groups that are working towards um, eliminating these issues and making it more, um, known to people that these things are being censored out uh, so that we can do what we can to erase that stigma and talk about it, talk about it openly. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not liking how I'm coming across here, so you can erase all of this. <laughs> but, um, here, I'll, I'll go back to one idea here that you said. So one way that I think brands can help, if you have a physical location like a physical brand, there are companies like one is named Ant Flow that are making products, menstrual products, female hygiene products free and available. So any initiative that brands can take like that to erase stigma and just make it really accessible for women to access things they need, tampons, pads in an easy way. No one has quarters who carries quarters with them now. And so they've, you know, Ant Flow has created a way to make that really easy and they work with many big brands to 
help with uh, making these hygiene products a lot more available. Gotcha. So I'm wondering, we've been kind of talking about like, how do we change the culture of this and everything? Um, I, I know it probably has to start from like, you know, like a very young age, right? Too. Um, so yeah, it's very challenging uh, trying to think about like, well, what is the government going to allow you to say, you know, online and advertisements, right? Because I guess the reason that they're censoring it, I suppose, is because they don't want people making inappropriate jokes and stuff on their site. Um, but that happens anyway. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm curious, like, why do they still censor that? And then how can we get them to not censor it? You know, like, I guess I'm kind of curious. I wonder, just policy wise, I wonder how that how that could go. Yeah, so there, the company that I know is working on this is called the Center for Intimacy Justice. And they have, uh, they've published reports, investigative reports and advocating for change, especially on Meta, that platform. Um, mm -hmm. So I know that there's press releases, they have um, petitions that people can sign to help make this more possible. And then I just think as users and consumers, not flagging anything, you know, if you flag something, <laughs> then it's going to be more likely to be censored. So yeah, I think there's a line between age, you know, you have to keep things age appropriate. And mm -hmm. so on some of these bigger pl platforms, there are reasons behind it. Um, but there needs to be a lot more openness. There needs to be a lot more willingness to to be open about it. So, uh, why is it happening? I mean, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not an expert on that. But I would say <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> I would say the patriarchy yeah. with a little mix of like keeping platforms of age appropriate. And yeah. how can we help? Uh, you can join movements. You can sign up for the Center for Intimacy Justice email list and find out what's going on there. Are there any brands that are like doing a decent job with, you know, their awareness of femtech and things like that? Like, are there any brands that are doing a good job? Yeah, there are so, so many brands that I think are really thriving in this space. Um, Mosey Baby is one that comes to mind. It's an at-home insemination kit uh, <laughs> helping with fertility. And they do a great job being very inclusive in their branding. So that would be one to check out. I like what they're doing. There's Ask Tia which is an integrated women's healthcare. Um, they have physical locations all across the nation where women can go. And it kind of combines OBGYN care with mental health, mental wellness, and then mm. uh, a more holistic approach to just your entire body to women's health. That's right now awesome. women are going, you know, yeah, you go in for your, you know, your breast cancer screenings, and then your regular pap smears, OBG appointments, and then you still need to check in with a regular doctor for a full physical. And then if you want to, you know, ad address your mental health at the same time, it's so many visits. And so they're trying to take a more integrative approach to women's health. And they have done some really cool things with their branding. They've borrowed from the hospitality um, sector. So it feels really like almost luxury, like you're walking into a nice hotel or a nice like spa day when you go Instead to of clinical feeling. Yes. And I've seen so much um, innovation when it comes to the branding in femtech that is really inspiring to me. People borrowing from different verticals, you know, a lot of 
menstrual products are borrowing from beauty and cosmetics in their branding in terms of like the colors and the way that they're talking and naming things to again erase the stigma and make sense that like this is normal and there's actually things to celebrate here um it doesn't all have to be you know down and shameful i've also seen a shift in um talking about things like menopause to a younger generation this is not just something that you're going to be talking about with women 50 plus because guess what like it it can be a decades long thing when you're entering mm -hmm. menopause and going through menopause and so much of the time women that are approaching that uh, you know, perimenopause, they're not even aware of what is coming or what's about to happen. So gearing your branding to being more fun and playful and young uh, can do a lot to bring people in and educate them before they're, you know, at a prime, uh, prime age for your, your products. Um, and then there's a saying in this industry now that like 50 is the new 30. And just mm -hmm. this idea that we're living longer and we need to get rid of the stereotype that marketing world has fed us for so long yeah. about 50 year old women being grandmas and old and mm -hmm. uninterested in like living a very lively, productive, exciting, playful life, right? There's still so much life left. And so um, I think, yeah, just more inclusive branding altogether where why is age the determining factor? for your branding decisions. Let's communicate more on based on values or based on need rather than based on age and all of our stereotypical assumptions that might come with those ages. Yeah. As a 50 plus woman, I applaud that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know for so long they've been like either excluded or talked to like they're these old matrons, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, personally, I, when I was 39 years old, they told me I needed a hysterectomy. And my very first thought was that happens to old ladies. Mm -hmm. And I was 39 and, yeah. and the doctor educated me, thankfully, with <laughs> no, it happens to younger people too. And let's just do this. Yes. And, I'm so and, glad you had a doctor that could like support you and walk you through that. Absolutely. Cause it was it was a hard surgery. It's a hard thing to go through, mm -hmm. but when you get to the other side, there are no downsides. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 this is just a little aside, but I remember mom, when you got that, uh, when you got the surgery, I was probably, I don't know, 10, maybe probably around 10. Yeah. You're around 10. Yeah, I was probably, I was probably around 10. And I remember you told me like, yeah, I'm getting a hysterectomy means I get my uterus removed, this kind of thing. And of course, 10 year old Zach is just very confused. He's like, wait, you're getting something taken out of you like wait what's going on like, you know, like and then and then I'm like I'm like wait you can just like remove a sex organ I'm like what's going on like what, what? take it out you know? of your body yeah it was, it was so funny yeah but it was in a way it was it was kind of interesting I guess from a younger age to know that that's a thing you know because yeah. then when I heard about hysterectomies when I was older I was like oh yeah I know what that is you know yeah no big deal <laughs> so. you know that's yeah. something I was talking about um just the other day with my husband I'm like why is this not like why is reproductive health and like the whole there's four phases to a women's menstrual cycle and most mm -hmm. women wouldn't even be able to tell you those phases right they mm -hmm. know when they're bleeding and when they're not bleeding maybe maybe when they're ovulating um but like, I think that's something that should be taught in high school or like in a health class. Like we should know all the phases and the hormone fluctuations and what's at play because it really does affect everyone. Um, yeah. Even yeah. If you're not I think personally experiencing it. 
Yeah, and, and I think men should probably learn that stuff too, right? Because like, I mean, that'd be helpful to know. <laughs> right, and, to be a supportive uh, partner, you need to yeah. have information. Yeah, that too, because I mean, men learn literally nothing about women's bodies, absolutely zero. So <laughs> yeah. Well, and it always probably cracks me up because, okay, this is another side, of course, but you know, I, two sons, a husband, um, and men make such a big deal out of potential like getting hit hit in the testicles right <laughs> it's yes. the worst thing ever and I keep well, going like are you kidding me I gave birth to two huge children yes. with no drugs not Please to mention don't like chronic me period pain month after month from yeah. the time you're 11 years old like yeah. you know like <laughs> come on yeah. Or the postpartum. Yeah. I mean, postpartum is no picnic for anyone. The the pain, no. the hormones, the mood swings, the headaches, oh. the fatigue. Like it's it's yeah. horrid. Yeah, and I that's mean, not I'll... to de-emphasize. Like, no. it's not a competition. Pain is pain. <laughs> Everyone's experience is valid. And yet, yeah, uh, women's pain women's pain has been downplayed and normalized for centuries. Uh, yes. And that women is, often, yeah. when they go to doctors, are less likely to get prescribed pain medication or mm -hmm. taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, that is really interesting. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I've had some of my friends here in graduate school have told me about, uh, you know, like going to get a pap smear and like how awful that experience is for a lot of them. And they tell me about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely willing, you know, to get kicked in the groin once in a while, if I don't have to put up with that, you know, like, <laughs> I'm definitely much more willing to, you know, have that pain every once in a while than that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think we're coming up uh, close to our time here. Um, but Lene, this has been really interesting. Um, but usually the way that we finish our podcast is we ask our guests, if you have like one communication tip that you could give our listeners, what would that tip be? This tip could be a general communication tip that isn't really specific to your field. This could be specific to your field if you want it to be just What's if there's one thing you want our listeners to take away today? What's that thing? Mm. I think the biggest thing I can always tell my clients is to write like you talk. So much mm. of the time we get caught up in our heads and we want it to sound professional or mm. we're worried about, you know, there there is a lot to think about and a lot to worry about when you're marketing or communicating. And yet I think writing like you talk as a first draft and then going through and revising things as needed is the best way to make progress with connective communication with something that will actually have that human element, human appeal and draw people in. Um, I think when we're trying to produce a perfect first draft, which so often we try to do in our heads, we impede our progress because we're editing as we're creating. Mm -hmm. And so I say, try to keep those processes separate, create first, and then you can always go back and revise. And this is of course in written communication, primarily if you're face-to-face -face with someone, then there's other tactics there, but be natural, be authentic, be genuine. Your brand values are very often a compilation of the values of the people running the brand. And so mm -hmm. who you are as a person is going to influence your brand voice and the way that your brand communicates. So just be natural and those values will likely come through. Bravo. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love that for sure. Like you need to be yourself, be genuine, right? Yeah, I love it. 
Yeah. And you, like when we were talking about jargon earlier, use mm -hmm. words that you use in conversation. Don't start yeah. at a computer and start looking at the thesaurus to sound smarter, you know, just write like you talk. Like or use words friend. that your audience uses in conversation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that well. Yes, that's true. Because if you're, you know, a scientist, then you're going to use different right. language than, than someone else. So yeah, I say run it through the best friend test. Because even if mm -hmm. you're a scientist, the way you talk to colleagues is going to be different than the way you explain what you do at a party to a friend. Right. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, write, write like you talk in the right setting where your audience might be. Because we can all make those adjustments, I think, live in person easier than we can when we're typing to a computer screen without a real genuine human in our face. Right, so right. Vision yeah. that, channel that, and you'll get a more um, more connective copy. Excellent. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. All right. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Lene. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always so fun to chat about these things. I think... Uh, you know, I tell all my businesses that branding is something that comes at the beginning. I think so long we wait to do strategic branding or strategic communications. It's really easy to do a DIY approach to it. Mm -hmm. But even just having like a two or three hour strategy session with a communication professional can help you get those marketable messages tuned in so that they are connective, so that they do resonate with your audience um, and just set you on a, a path for more success in your business. Totally. I mean, I think so often with communication, people feel like, well, I can talk, I can write, so I can do this all myself. And it's so important for a business to step back and get an outside perspective yes. so that they can better communicate. Yeah. I mean, my my framework, I'll just quickly mention this. I, I take people through what I call your brand G spot. We try to find your brand G spot <laughs> and right. that, you know, so that your customers are saying yes and everyone's, you know, people are wanting to work with you. And that to me, we start with a game plan. We have to have a strategic baseline. What are your big picture goals as a brand? And then we look at your stance. What's your mission? What's your why? What are your values? And then your position, which is your position in the marketplace, you have to look at your competitors, see how they're talking. How are their messages landing and coming across? How do you differentiate yourself from them? What are the opportunities there to really stand out uniquely as your own brand? Um, and then your one and only reader that, you know, narrowing down how is your audience talking, speaking like your audience, and then your tone of voice, which is kind of the tip I gave of writing like you talk, uh, making it natural, having a tone that will land well with your, with your audience. So yeah. as we go through your brand G spot, we figure out how to position yourself and what stance to take and how to bring that out in your messaging so that people get it so that you're clear right from the get-go and people know what you do and why you do it best. Um, and having a communications professional can really get you to that spot a lot faster and a lot clearer. Absolutely. So one last question, Lene, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Great. Yeah. So my brand is Vivia Marketing. So my website is viviamarketing.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Lene Carmichael on LinkedIn. And on Instagram, Lene Writes Copy. You can find me at any of those places and I'd be happy to connect. Beautiful. Well, thanks awesome. again for your time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate being able to chat with you all. Mm -hmm.